Welcome to The Pen and the Yod, a weekly conversation on the Torah portion of the week between Rabbi Michael Siegel, Senior Rabbi of the Anshayimut Synagogue, and Jonathan Eig, a New York Times best-selling author. This week's portion is Tazria. It begins with Chapter 12 of Leviticus. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. Great to talk to you. Always fun. So, beginning this week, we are going to be focusing on portions that bring tears to the eyes of Barabbat Mitzvah parents. Tazria, next week we'll be talking about Mitzorah. And I know how many parents come in and say to me, Rabbi, can't you give me something like Noah? Why do we have to talk about excretions from the body or skin diseases? And so the challenge for rabbis and the challenge for us today is to find meaning in this text. So here we go. Well, at least they have something harmless to complain about, right? As opposed to the caterers. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> that too. So the portion begins, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the Israelite people this way. When a woman at, a woman at childbirth bears a male, she shall be unclean seven days. She shall be unclean as at the time of her menstrual infirmity, and on the eighth day of the flesh of his fortunes shall be circumcised, and then she will remain in a state of blood purification for 33 days. And then what we're going to find out is that if a girl, if the child is a girl, then she's going to be in this state for double the time. So how, how do you hear that when you just first read it as a modern? Well, as a modern, I think, great, give the woman a break. I wonder at the time, though, whether it was more an issue of uncleanliness, right? That she's led. You have to stay away. She's she's impure. Um, but as a modern person, I think, hey, we're giving the woman some rights. We're telling the man to stay away from her. Um, give her give her some time to recover. That's great. Well, you said a lot of things. So let's let's take them one at a time. First of all, when we hear clean and unclean, we immediately think that it is a value statement, right? We're judging. The reality is, is that tuman tahara are terms that have to deal with a conceptual framework of the temple and how we present ourselves in this universe. And it's it has nothing to do with what we would normally think of as being clean and unclean, but it's a state of ritual uh, purity. And here in the book of Leviticus, what we're looking at is a book that's focused on these ideas in a very serious way. So it begins with the um, worship in the temple. It moves to the purity and impurity of the Kohanim, how they maintain themselves. And then it moves into the purity and the impurity of the larger world. And it begins with physical excretions. It begins with things that people see in the ancient world and today, but feared. They didn't know until they were looking at and so that's, that's part of the portion here is how do we take that which people can fear and then mistreat other people? How do we transform it into something that gives some dignity to the other person? And in that world, I don't know how much dignity was given to women. No, not much. Not and much. Uh, still often not enough. And the woman's body has often not been her own control. And, and so in some ways I, I hear this and I say, great, we're giving the woman some control. At least she gets to be left alone. But I know that these are men writing these rules and they're probably not thinking about it that way. No, I think, I think from the time of the Torah, women were really part of the um, chattel that, the, uh, that was under the control of the husband. And so here 
a man is being told something that I don't know that they would be told in other societies. And he has limits. Mm -hmm. And you touched on that earlier, that he can't do whatever he wants whenever he wants with his wife because he's the man of the household. There is a higher law that he's responsible for. And I'm gonna, so I'm going to take what seems to be the most archaic of ideas, things that, as I said earlier, bring tears to a bar mitzvah's parents' eyes, and, and suggest that this is, um, this is actually a profound lesson and a sea change in ancient society where women actually had rights where they could say no and have the backing of the tradition. Yeah, and that's a big deal. And as you pointed out, throughout 99% of human history, women were regarded as vessels for, the, for, for making babies. And they were seen as they didn't have property rights. They didn't have the rights to sue their husbands for divorce, even if they were raped in this country until you know the last half of the of the 20th century so this is not this is an ancient problem and if there's some glimmer in the torah that women's rights are actually being considered that would be a, a huge break from everything in human history but the reality is is that women are still seen in many ways as as other oh yeah we've got a long way to go and and we're still fighting in this country over whether the woman gets to control her own body and that's what this rule in the torah in this portion is about Right. The question is, how far have we really come in our society? And what measures would we even use to think about that progress? One might say that, oh gosh, today we have made serious progress. Come down Shabbat on a Shabbos morning and men and women are reading from the Torah. They're participating. We have a male chazan. We have a female chazan. We've had male rabbis. We have female rabbis. We're, in, we're a totally egalitarian congregation. And so I think if we use modern sensibilities, we would say that this is a very progressive congregation. Is that a measure of women's rights, or is that a religious a sign of religious evolution? Hmm, that's a good question, because even within the Jewish religion, there's wide variation on what women can and can't do, and how the rules are, are applied differently, depending on your which which part of Judaism you're, which, which kind of, what kind of synagogue you're affiliated with. I, I said that because I think that we fall into a trap in the non-Orthodox world where we say, this is a great good that we're doing. We're freeing women to participate in all levels of, of Jewish uh, society and including the religious spheres as well. And I'm all obviously all for egalitarianism, but I want to be careful as to how I categorize it. I don't know that it's a great good, because once you say that, then women who want to sit behind a separation in synagogue, a mechitza, right? women who are comfortable in a synagogue where men are reading Torah and are comfortable where, they, where their domain is the home, is somehow judged through negative eyes. How could they be, how could they want to live like that? What's What's wrong with that? I mean, something would become anthropologists and say, well, how could they choose that in a world that is increasing egalitarian? Is that thorny yeah, yeah, that's a thorny question, though, because um, you have to assume that they are fully enabled in, in making the choices that they want to make. They may not feel fully enabled, or it's just such a deeply rooted cultural difference that two different sets of standards apply. I, I, I don't know how you factor for something like that. Well, the halakha, Jewish law, as far as conservative Judaism is concerned, really allows us 
to evolve on that level to make decisions that are going to allow women to be counted in a minion, to allow women to lead a service in prayer. But there needs to be room, I'm, I'm saying, oddly enough, as a conservative rabbi, for others to say, no, I don't accept that. There's pluralism in the Jewish community. And women should be invited in when they're comfortable. And if they're not comfortable, we don't need to force them to accept things. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess another way of thinking about it is whether the, the, the girls growing up in that community have the same set of rights and the same uh, abilities to rise and make those decisions or whether they are trapped in a system that doesn't give them an equal shot um, just to play devil's advocate. But in, in the world in which we live, women are exposed to um, all kinds of information. So it's not as though... I don't think that uh, a woman who was raised uh, in a more traditional setting couldn't make a decision along along the way. No, but it's more difficult sometimes to to defy the rules that exist within your family and within your society and your community. That's all true. But I think my point stands that we we tend to judge negatively that which we see as being arcane and we tend to put value judgments with them as opposed to simply saying, this is what we do. This is the choice you make. How do we fulfill ourselves religiously, right? Look, you have daughters, so I have had the privilege of standing as uh, and watching her serve as a, uh, attain the level of bat mitzvah, watching her read from the Torah, lead a service. That's a very wonderful thing. Do you think it's possible to be fulfilled in an Orthodox setting? where she might give a Devar Torah or something like that? Yeah, I'm sure it would be. And if that's how I were raised, that's that would be my set of expectations. And I assume that uh, I would have a different attitude toward it. So, in a way, when we come to a portion like Tazria, there is room for conversations if we're willing to allow that the language may seem foreign to us, but the message is something that speaks to us in our own day. And I think that that's the power of Torah at the very end of the day. And it's our job and our responsibility to make Torah relevant in every generation. Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs>